Good morning, y'all. Oh, this is our last service of the day. Woo, three of them. I'm, t- I'm kidding. There's one after this. They just keep coming. Uh, the, the coolest part about uh, one, well, not the coolest, one cool part is uh, I looked on this morning, and with the exception of a few spots at 8 a.m., all of the other gatherings were completely booked up. <laughs> wow. It is crazy. You guys love church. I love it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so fun, man. It's, um, it's fun to be here. It's fun to be part of this. We're, we're doing, by the way, my name is Tommy Jones. If we hadn't met, I'm the pastor here. And you're thinking, yeah, this is it. This is what we got. And so like, uh, we're doing this experiencing God thing together that we've been on for, this is actually the start of the sixth week of experiencing God. Now, for some of you, I'm doing uh, a week and then you're in front of me or behind me. But for most of us, we're right at the sixth week together. So we're halfway through. We're halfway through this study together. And I was thinking about that this week and I was sort of talking to God and I was like, God, I'm I'm halfway there. You know, we're halfway through. And, And God was like, congratulations. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you're back at average, halfway and then, like, I was talking, to, and this is true, like, I was talking to God on Monday just to, about this idea of halfway, and, and he goes, Tommy, have you ever stopped to think about how many times in your life you've settled for halfway? And then I thought he was being a little rude. I was like, uh, yikes. But halfway. Have you ever thought halfway? Like, you know how many times in my life I've been halfway? How, how many of you have done a, a New Year's resolution? Halfway. Exactly. You know, you start a workout and halfway, you start a new eating plan and you make it about halfway. You start a good book and you make it about halfway. Like I even like Netflix series. I'm, I know some of you guys binge, love them. I make it about halfway through a series and then I started them. There are so many places in my life where I have done things halfway. If you see the bird feeders that I built in my backyard, yeah, halfway. The shelves in my garage, yeah, halfway. As a matter of fact, um, my, my mom's dad, who's not with us anymore, he was a, he was a painter. And Papaw Casey's what I call him. Y'all call him Papaw Casey, too, when you meet him. And so, but Papaw Casey would say, uh, he, he was a professional painter, and he, like, loved things to be done right. Well, one time, he made the mistake of hiring me to paint a house. And he showed up. I didn't know he was coming to the job site that day. And so I was out there painting, and Papaw Casey showed up, and he looked at what I'd done, and he said, Tommy, you've done a halfway job of painting this house. Uh, he said something like that. Halfway, halfway, halfway. I mean, how many things in our lives have been halfway? And I was thinking about this. I was like, God, why? Why do so many times I'll start something and I'll be excited about it and then it'll get difficult and I'll quit? Or I'll start something and I'll be excited and then I'll just get bored and stopped. And I'm talking about like good things, like all sorts of things. Like I'll start and I'm going, I'm going. And then I'll hit that, that first moment where you really got to make it over that hump. And I don't keep going. I just quit. Like there's so many things I have done halfway. And as I was thinking about this, I think the problem for me, for most of the things that I've done halfway, wasn't that I couldn't complete it. It wasn't that I didn't have the ability It was that my perspective was wrong before I ever started doing it. And because my perspective was wrong at the beginning, my purpose never really clicked. And the minute the pain or the difficulties came, I just gave up. Because that's what happens when you have no perspective or purpose. So I was was working out this week. Not shocked, are you? (laughs) So I was working out this week. 
and I was, uh, I was actually working out with a buddy of mine, and I was going to do my max bench press, okay? And, and I was going to do it three times. So I guess it wasn't technically my max bench press, but it was like, it was a, a lot of weight, like more weight than any of you can ever imagine on a bench press. And so, so I, I got there and I started to do it. And right before I did it, I looked at my friend who was spotting me and I said, man, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. And my friend said to me, well, then just go home now. And I was like, what? And he goes, if you're already saying you can't do it before you've even tried, then you're going to fail. Why are you, he said, if it's not settled in you that you can do this, then you won't be able to do it and you're going to give up and quit. He said, so just stop now and save me some time. And I was like, dang, man. But in, he was right. So I sat there and I focused. I was like, I took like 30 seconds and I visualized why I was working out. I visualized like what I was doing with my health and, you know, I visualized all these things. And then I got down there and I tried and I did it. Ah, knocked it out. Obviously. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. Y'all should all be clapping. I did it. Whatever. Um, haters. So, but like the truth of the matter was, had I, had I kept that wrong perspective, I would have never completed what I was trying to complete. And that's the problem with so many things in life. Like if you meet someone who's super successful, if they tell you about it, they always visualize the end before they ever started, didn't they? I mean, Chris, you're in the restaurant business. You visualized what it was going to be before you ever started, didn't you? I mean, that's what successful people do. They visualize what a restaurant would look like full. They visualize how good the food's going to be. And then they plan in their mind that when difficulties come, I'm going to go over them. I'm not going to quit. It was settled in you that that would be successful before you ever started it. But for us, with our life with Christ, it's never like that, it seems like. There are so many things, whether it be the experiencing God study or any other thing we've ever done, we take a few steps and then we kind of go, yeah. And it's easy to just say, well, it's just a Bible study. But at some point, something has to be more than halfway. For many of us, we just, we just give up on, on Jesus and on, on what he's calling us to do way too soon because we don't have the perspective and the purpose to make it through the days of the pain. There was a guy named Dwight Moody, and if you've never heard of him, he was like a super famous pastor a long, long time ago, but Dwight Moody had a friend, and one day his friend came to him and said, uh, I'm going to read this because it's a direct quote. He said, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man who is fully consecrated to God. So his friend says to Dwight Moody, the world has yet to see what, the, what God will do with a man who's fully bought into God. And Dwight Moody turned to the guy and replied, then I shall set about being that man. Like if the world's never seen that, I'm going to be that. I am deciding today. This is my perspective. This is my purpose. And when the pain comes, I will not back down because it is decided, it is settled in me who I am going to be. And for far too few of us, it is settled who we are going to be. And so when the pain comes, and let me tell you, the pain is coming one way or another. When it comes, we lose our perspective and we lose our purpose because things are not yet settled in us. Our verse for this week, John 5, uh, 19, it says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son does also. Okay, so Jesus is talking to a crowd of people, and he says, I'm not going to do anything I don't see the father doing. The son is going to do nothing the father doesn't. And, and, and there's several reasons Jesus is saying this, and 
like this kind of gets a little complicated if you're new to church, so just kind of stick with me. But one of the reasons he's saying that, this is a statement of relationship. The son and the father are one. We serve a God that's, that's triune. He's three parts. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the Father and the Son are together. So it's a statement of relationship. The Son will do nothing the Father doesn't do because the Father and the Son are one. But Jesus, here's where the math gets a little weird. When Jesus comes to earth, he comes to earth as fully God, 100%. But he's also fully man, 100%. And I know that math doesn't work, but this isn't me just being an idiot. This is Bible math. Like, he's fully both. And so in his, in his position, in his relationship, he is one with God. But in his choice as a human, he's making the choice on that day that I will do nothing but what the Father wills me to do. I will do nothing but what the Father wants for me. So he's not just stating relationship. He's stating his choice. This is my purpose. This is my perspective. I'm not going to do anything that the Father does not will for me to do. And so later on, Jesus, is, he goes to this garden and he's getting ready to be crucified. And he's in the garden. And it says that the story reads that he gets down on his hands and knees and he's crying tears of blood because he's about to go to the cross. He's so overcome with the pain of what is about to happen, with the pain that's in front of him, that he's on the ground. He's crying tears of blood. But three times in this conversation, he's praying to God. And he says, God, I, I don't want to do it this way, but not my will, but your will. God, if there's another way, but not my will, but your will. God, it, there has to be, but not my will, but your will. And over and over in this conversation, Jesus says, not my will, but your will. But Jesus didn't make that decision in the garden. He made that decision years before that moment ever happened. He decided before the pain what his purpose and perspective would be in the pain so that the pain couldn't change his purpose or perspective. My dad used to always say to me, son, you need to decide who you are before you get in the backseat of the car with that girl. Right? And some days I got that right, Paul. <laughs> no, you, you got to decide who you're going to be before the moment comes where you must decide who you are. And for too many of us, we're waiting, we're waiting. We're, we're going to run on halfway until that day, and then we're going to go 100%. And that's just not the way it works. It's not just Jesus. There's a guy named Paul, and he wrote the book of Philippians. And, and when Paul's writing this book, um, he's, he's a prisoner, and he's about to be executed. And he's a prisoner in a horrible jail, like not, not three hots in a cot kind of thing, like a terrible cave jail. In Philippians 1.20, this is what he says. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, which by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. So Paul is about to be executed. Can you imagine? So he's about to be executed by an emperor who hates Christians. Can you imagine how frustrating this is for the emperor who hates Christians? He's about to execute this guy, and Paul says, hold on, hold on. You're welcome to kill me, but you should know this. I'm good with it. You kill me, I'm going to go be with Jesus. But if I live, I will continue in my fruitful prison labor. And he's happy about it. How frustrating is that guy? You're like, dang, man, I can't kill you. I can't get rid of you. Paul says, if you kill me, I'm going to be with Jesus. If you keep me alive, I'm going to bring all these other people to Jesus. It put the emperor in a real quandary. 
Because Paul was convinced of his purpose, and he decided that before he was in that prison. Before Paul ever went to prison, he decided his life would not be halfway. He decided he would be all in, and that to live, God would get my everything, and that to die, God will get everything to the glory of my death, and I'm okay with it. But the only way Paul and Jesus were able to make decisions like that was because there were some things that were settled inside of them. And I love what Paul says. Go back to that verse for me real quick. Paul uses a word. Read, read for me the third word in the first sentence. Everyone say it out loud. Everyone say it out loud. Expect. He said, I expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed. He said, I expect I expect that I will not be ashamed. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be ashamed. We tend to say, I hope. Paul's expect came before his hope. We got a lot of hope, but we don't place a lot of expectation on ourselves. Paul wasn't, wasn't just hoping, he was deciding. But for us, we say things like, man, I don't know how I would respond if I was in that situation. And I get it, we're trying to empathize and sympathize, but we say, you know, well, Billy Bob went through this thing and, you know, he really did this crazy thing, but gosh, man, I don't know how I would respond if I was in that situation. Yes, you do. Decide today how you will respond when you're in that situation and then expect that that is how you are going to respond. And that's okay, that's not arrogance, that's humility in Christ. Knowing if I was without him in that situation, I'd respond like a man, but I'm not without him, so I will respond like Christ. And it's okay to say that, to expect more from yourself, but to get there, some things have to be settled in you. In our study, Blackaby says there's a couple of things that we need to decide when we're going into difficult circumstance. And the first one he says is, this first thing that must be settled in you is it must be settled in you that Christ died for your sins. Like this must be settled in you. And I know y'all are like, okay, this is sort of church 101. Is it? Is, it, is this settled in you? Do you believe this like in your heart and in your core and in all that you are that Christ died for your sins? That Christ took punishment that you deserved. This must be settled in you. This is not up for debate. And on my worst day, Christ died for me. And on my best day, Christ died for me. And, and when my, my family's doing this, Christ died for me. And when my kids, Christ died for me. And during Corona, Christ died for me. That is settled in me and that will never change. And that must be settled, complete, final in you. But not just that. It must be settled in you that death did not have the final word over Christ. Christ died for you, but Christ came back to life. He was resurrected. And we, I, I, I know we must decide that these things are settled inside of us. And then what that means is right now, if you're praying for a job or a promotion or, or you know, your spouse to do something or not do something, or if you're praying for any of these other things and those two things are not settled in you, then stop praying for all those other things and start praying that God settles those two things. Because when those two things are settled, all the other things will be added unto you in a way that makes no sense to the world. And God desires to settle those two things in you, but you have to have an open heart to allow him to do it. God wants to settle those things in us. And so 
Jesus decided his perspective and purpose before the pain and his life was glorified in death and in life. And Paul decided his purpose and perspective before his pain and his life was glorified in life and death. And, and that's Jesus and Paul. And that's what you'd expect from Jesus and Paul. What about you? Is this possible for you? Is this possible for you? Is it possible for you to be at such a place with God so that in life or in death, you bring him glory? Is it possible for God to take people like me, just normal old people like me and normal people like you, to such a place where no matter what the doctor calls me and says, I have a peace that passes all human understanding, where no matter what I'm going through, I have a peace that makes no sense, where no matter what the situation is, no matter what the world brings, no matter in life or in death or in anything, I am so 100% into God that nothing matters. Is it possible for normal people to be taken to a place like that? Because if it is, I want to see it. So I, I was praying over this and, and talking to God this week, and I, I found this video from a man. And he's a normal man. He's a normal man I know. He's a normal man I talked to on the phone Monday, and I called him and I said, I want permission to use a video that you shared with your church um, a couple of weeks ago. And this normal man is one of my brother Jeff's best friends, and he is a Methodist pastor in, in uh, Rogers, I think, or in, in southern Oklahoma, right up there in that area. And um, I, I say this a lot, guys, but if someone throws you out of a boat and says, swim, you'll drown. If someone throws you out of a boat and says, there's the island and you can see it, you won't stop swimming until you get there. So I know you don't know this man, but what I want to show you today is a video of the island. I want to show you what the end looks like for those who will keep going. I want, you to sh I want you to see the place. And, 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 and as we're watching this video, you might be thinking, okay, well, that's not me. Then what is you? What is your worst nightmare? Like, what is that thing in your mind that if it happens, ah, oh, that I don't know how I'll respond if that happens. I have no idea how I'll handle that if that, what is that thing in your mind? I want you to watch this video with that thing in your mind, and then I want it to be settled in you that it is possible, that your perspective and purpose might not be deterred even on the day of your greatest pain. Uh, we, we came down to Houston to get our CT scans at my CT scan at uh, MD Anderson and, and then hear from the doctors when, uh, when we would schedule surgery so that we could continue on the process. And uh, unfortunately, we did not get the news that we were hoping for. Uh, what the CT scan showed was that the uh, tumor on my pancreas had actually grown quite a bit in the uh, three and a half weeks since uh, the radiation treatment. So after seven rounds of radiation, uh, seven rounds of chemotherapy and 10 rounds of radiation, it just hadn't, uh, hadn't done what they had wanted at all. In fact, what they discovered was is that the, uh, the, the, the cancer had metastasized and is now in my liver. So what that means is, is that I'm not a, a candidate for surgery. Uh, it also means, as they've told me, um, uh, that there's really nothing they can do for me at this time. The medical options for a cure uh, have played themselves out. And so uh, I asked the doctor, I said, then, uh, you know, how much time do you think I have? And he said, you know, they can't prognosticate the future. But he said, you probably have between 
12 months and 18 months to live. And uh, so that was not the news that we wanted to hear. Um, so there's, there's not an option for a cure anymore. There, we do have an option to, uh, to try another chemotherapy treatment that would be every other week. It would not be for cure. It would be just to give me a little more time. Uh, if I did nothing, uh, I would live about three months. But with this chemo every other week, a different kind of chemo, then uh, we might be able to stretch it out to 12 or 18 months. So uh, as you can imagine, that was a, a pretty much a shock to us, as I had imagined for many of you who are hearing this for the first time, it's a shock to you as well. Um, you know, the, uh, we, Beth and I have shed tears uh, about thinking about, you know, the years we won't have together and my boys, you know, not getting to see them uh, get married and have grandchildren and, you know, getting to do all of that. Uh, I, that, uh, that brings me a lot of sadness. Um, you know, just the, the loss of what we would have as a family in what I would have with Beth. But I'd have to say that, you know, God has been remarkably good and faithful in the midst of all of this. Um, while I'm sad, obviously sad, disappointed, uh, and wish that things would be much different, uh, I haven't been in despair. Um, God has been a real stabilizing uh, source of, of hope and rest and peace for me uh, in these last less than 48 hours since we heard about it. Uh, one of the things is, if you remember, uh, back when I first was diagnosed with this cancer, I made, uh, <clears throat> I made a video and said, you know, what my hopes were for this cancer would, uh, bottom line was that God would be honored and glorified and Jesus' name would be lifted up through this process. And whether God used uh, modern medicine to do it, if God was glorified and honored in that, then great, let's, let's get a cure for this thing. Since that option isn't around anymore, it's not available. Uh, we're really left with uh, the remaining two options. One is that God does something miraculous and there's a miraculous healing of this cancer and uh, I believe in that I have seen miraculous healings in Africa firsthand um, I know God works in that way and so that's an option uh, that God would do something truly amazing that would astound everyone including the doctors and if that's the case I'll give God the glory through it all but the third option is still also available uh, that I had at the very beginning and that was that uh, if if uh, healing wasn't an, uh, going to be in my future, then I wanted I wanted to die well. That's what one of the things that was said about the early Methodists back when Methodism was was booming and growing across England and across the United States. Uh, it was often said about the Methodists that they died well. They died strong in, in their faith, with an assurance and a peace that was not common uh, in the in the world around them. And if that's the case for me. Uh, I, I want to die well. I want to die strong in the Lord. And uh, just continuing to experience the, the faithfulness of God in the midst of all of this. Uh, I, I, uh, this week, I uh, saw on, on Twitter um, 
a, a tweet about uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's wife. Uh, if you don't know, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a minister in Germany who opposed uh, Hitler and was put in prison and he was eventually executed <clears throat> just shortly before Nazi Germany fell. So he almost made it, but they executed him. And uh, when his wife came home that day to their children, uh, the children asked, uh, "Where's uh, is daddy coming home tonight? And, and she said, no. And they said, well, where is he? And, and she said, he's in a, a faraway place. And then she said this, she, she told her, her children, she said, remember, only the body dies. Only the body dies. And I've held on to that. This was before I knew what my diagnosis, what the, the change was. Um, I held on to that because I, I believe that 100%. Um, my, my temporary body is, is designed to last, you know, normally uh, 70 years or so. Mine will last less than 60. Um, but just because my body dies doesn't mean that I cease to exist. I, I will go to be with the Lord. I will see God face to face. I, I hate it for my wife and my sons. Um, I hate it for what they will, will go through, as, as many people do when they lose loved ones. Um, but you don't have to be sad for me. You know, I've lived a really good life. Um, really great family. Love my wife and my kids. And, uh, but I love the Lord, and I'm in His hands, and it's okay. I'm, I'm okay. I really am. What I'm about to discover is what David understood when he wrote Psalm 23. At the end of the psalm, he said, you know, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil because God is with us. And I have felt God's presence with me throughout the course of uh, these months with this cancer. I have felt him over the last couple of days after learning that uh, the, the medical route is, is uh, run into a dead end and that I can number my life in a matter of months now. God has been with me, God is with me, and as the uh, shadows of death uh, begin to grow near, I, I, I'm not afraid. Uh, I'm, I'm not a superhuman, I'm, I don't have a super faith, you know, uh, I just know that what God has done for me and who God is and who I am in Jesus Christ, and and I'm, I'm okay. Uh, it doesn't mean I'll have down times, I'll shed a lot more tears, um, but, it's good, and God is good. But it's good, and God is good. Is it settled in you? Is it settled in you? Like, is it, is it settled in you that it is good and God is good. It might be just another study. It might be just another Sunday. But at some point, you will have to plant a flag in the ground and say, this will be 100%. Because I don't know what moment is coming for you. or. But I want to decide today how I will respond. I want to decide today how I will respond. And I expect that I will respond in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
The world has yet to see what God would do with one man who is fully consecrated to God. The world has yet to see what, what God would do with one church that was fully consecrated to God. But I expect that this church will rise to the occasion. I expect that this church will live a life worthy of the gospel. I expect that on our worst days and on our best days, the world will see God in us and we will change the world. I expect this will not be ordinary. I expect great things will happen through this place. I expect that our greater days are ahead of us. And so guys, I don't know where you are right now, but we got people right down in the student room. Right now, you go to this room, you take a left, you go down there and it's the last room on the left. There are people waiting to pray with you. If you are tired of halfway, there are people waiting to pray with you. If you just got some news from a doctor, you don't, there are people waiting to pray with you. If there is something in your heart, don't be halfway today. Yesterday doesn't matter. Forget about the past. Strain towards what's ahead. And as we sing this last song, if you want to stand and pray, stand and praise. If you want to sit and pray, sit and pray. But do not be halfway, not today, not here. Everything. Authentic. Go to the king and tell him the truth. He already knows. He desires 100% of you. If 100% of you, he would change the world.
Oh, 